today is Tuesday, so it's all about those technical little bitsies of beautiful theology that we get to look at. Andrzej, how are you? Hey, hey. Doing well? I'm good. I'm doing well, man. I'm sitting down, chilling out with my brandy. So uh, I believe you're a little bit jealous um, because I've got Nick on all the Theology Thursdays, so I decided I was going to put you on one. Well, I've been meaning to talk to you about this, Mike, because yeah. I, I just I don't like the way you talk to Nick. Why? You, know, Why? You, call him, you call him your brother from another mother, but it seems like it's more than that to me, and I just feel like, you know, it's... I feel like, you know, you're getting too close to him at a brother level. And right. it's just making me feel a little bit hurt, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know? it's true because you could have a brother that's estranged, you know, and um, kind of a, a brother that you don't really talk to well, but it's kind of like a friend brother. Oh, that's, yeah, I can see how that would invoke jealousy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You see, it's not good. And also, like, you always get him on, you know, to talk about, like hardcore theological stuff. Yeah, he's a powerhouse, know? though. And like, like, I mean, well, I know, but well, this is this is this is why. I just you know, I feel like I'm. You used to have those conversations with me. Now you have them with Nick, and yeah. I just you know, it's not nice. It's not nice. It's not, I feel I feel like I've been replaced. Well, I think one and, of the um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you you get me on to talk about silly things. You know? <laughs> like I, I just get, I talk about silly things. I talk about your 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 loincloth man nappy pants and you know. Yeah. You see where I'm going with this? Uh-huh. No, well, okay. I think one of the things that's happening over here is I feel like this podcast is bringing all of my worlds together because, you know, I, I have, um, over the years, we, we, we've, and this is kind of the reason you're on the show. It's not just because you're my brother, but we, we've had, uh, uh, you know, so one day of the week, it'll be like talking to you and we'll, we'll be having this full on massive theological talk. And that's been a consistent thing right throughout my Christian life. Uh, yes, yeah, since I've known Nick, same thing. And so, yeah, it's like, dude, if I'm thinking of guys that I want to bring on the show, it's just that now you are you are finding out about my adulterous uh, theological conversations with him, you know, because everything's being know, aired. It and uh, he's he's yeah. not as adulterous. I mean, he's not as, uh, not adulterous, but uh, jealous because, you know, I suppose he doesn't have that expectation on me. To just no. only have the. I just, I just think, I just think, Nick, you, you need to, you need to back off, bro. You know, <laughs> just tone it down a little. What I'd love to do, and what we got to work on, is getting you guys. And in fact, we could probably do this. Uh, you know, just get a Google Hangout thing going where we're all on the same day. You know, try and get Chris on as well. Oh, take it easy, Mike. Good <laughs> you, know? you only just started this podcast. Then. Yeah. Oh boy. And one of the things I'm absolutely thinking about all the time is just how we can um yeah i got plans man we're gonna you know we all write a chapter of a book you know we all um uh, we can do a conference and get you guys down and it'll be great so those welcome to the secret thoughts of uh nice yeah nice. <clears throat> but um okay so look th theology let's do it man um okay well i've about? got a question for you mm -hmm. right okay so it's about um, covenant theology. Oh, and <clears throat> actually, it was something that I first realized I didn't totally understand when I was reading um, Chris's book, mm -hmm. Chris Colhe's book, the the Tale of Two Adams. Right, and um, he made a point in there 
about the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going to ask you about this because <clears throat> why? Okay, so here's my question. This mm-hmm. is, I think, how I'm going to form the question. But, you know, um, why, why is it important or necessary to have a distinction between the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace? Mm-hmm. Because the reason I, I wonder about that is because to me it seems like the only – reason for the distinction is to allow the possibility of pedo baptism and uh and i think that that taken to its logical conclusion ends up in federal vision stuff um which was the whole controversy in the first place yeah you know so um like what do you reckon about that like do you have to make that distinction is there a healthy distinction um yeah um, all right. Uh, well, let's, what happens if you take that distinction away? Yeah, no, and we have good historical examples to pull from there. I think um, so. You um, let's just start. Just if anyone's listening in on this, and and they're not a covenant theology nerd, um, let, let's just talk about the basic categories uh, in in classic covenantal theology or covenant theology. You have um, uh, a covenant of works, which we've mentioned before on the show. That's um, before the fall. That's what what Adam's deal was. Um, he had to do this to enter. Oh, don't do this, and you'll die. Do this, and the uh, the idea of being entering into Sabbath glory. Um, it was something based upon his obedience, his works, and uh, that would merit his uh, entrance into eternal life uh, beyond probation, as it were. Um, he fails, and so we know uh, the covenant of grace is uh, what we're under now. And we don't by that mean that there are no works involved anymore, but rather that uh, the works that the first Adam failed to do, the second Adam would do, but then he would give those works earned, so to speak, freely to us by grace alone, apart from our works. And so that's that's the basic system and uh, storyline of the Bible is the new covenant. You know, most people in the new covenant will have a feel for that. Or most, uh, what I mean by that is most people, most Christians who understand anything of the New Testament We'll have a feel that it's by grace alone, and Jesus has done this for us. Um, but then the the right. extra point that we so make, the covenant, the covenant of redemption, we haven't got there yet. So that's the covenant of grace, and that's okay. w- what we are talking about yeah. is just the temporal outworking of God's plan from eternity, right? So, in other words, it starts off. You imagine God creates the world, um, as Genesis one tells us, and then uh, the first covenant being administered is the covenant of works, that fails, and then you've got another temporal outworking in that in time you have uh, from the moment of the fall all the way through to today the administration of the covenant of grace in its various uh, exegetical covenants and and forms. So we'll come back to that if that's confusing later. But then your point, your question is uh, where does the covenant of redemption fit in? What is the covenant of redemption? Uh, Well, this is basically the drive amongst those who see um, in, in the words of Jesus, um, just in the basic storyline of Scripture, the sovereignty of God, the sense of it being plan A, you know, all the way through to send Jesus and die on the cross for us, uh, that there was a greater overarching covenant. It is referred to in Hebrews as the <laughs> eternal covenant. And it, this is, a, it's not something in time, so to speak. It's something that is in the uh, yeah. It's an inter-Trinitarian covenant, something that existed in God's mind. Obviously, when even when we were talking about before, after, or you know, there's no real sense in which we could get at the the, the linear progression of this covenant. But it's something in God, um, in God's mind, and covenanted between the three persons of the Trinity, 
the primary um, mem- uh, at least um, uh, uh, what is the word uh, parties in that covenant being obviously the father and the son mm-hmm. um, in that God covenanted um, before the foundation of the world to give to Christ a redeemed humanity and Christ then covenanting with the father to go and die for that bride so as to redeem that bride and um, and so as to pre- present them uh, uh, spotless. So the kind of thing that you get in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Where and, uh, it's talking about before the creation of the world. There we go. Yeah, Revelation is full of it. And then the the high priestly prayer of Christ. And and then um, just, the, like mm-hmm. I say, the, the odd mention here and there of the eternal covenant, uh, the, the the famous text in Hebrews. I can't think of hand where it is, uh, but often used as a, as a benediction. And... Um, and so you have, uh, well, actually, there are there are many points that we could talk about there, but let, let's let's take that for granted and let's just go with what has been classically formulated as covenant theology, and um, and that would be and, called the can covenant. I stop you? Can I can I can I interject? Quickly? Yes, yes. Um, the the Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think of that as the covenant of grace, even though I know that in classical Reformed covenant theology they would say that the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of grace. Yeah. But um, I would say it's not. It's a covenant of works. And the covenant of grace is the covenant basically outside of that. So Abraham, um, Dave, you know, Noah, Abraham, David, and the new covenant are, are the covenant of grace. Right. And the, dis- the different dispensations of it. Yeah. I mean, look. That might be something to deal with on a separate. Um, okay. Really, what what you're looking at there is the difference between theological covenants and exegetical covenants. I think that's the easiest way to to uh, think that so through. Would you, so, would you say that the the Sinai covenant is the covenant of? No, no, no. Is, but is part of the covenant of grace. I don't think any one of the exegetical covenants is the covenant of grace. And what I mean by exegetical covenant is that you know you have a covenant made. Like no one denies, you can you can be a dispensationalist, you can be someone you know who's read, read your Bible for the first time. Everyone sees various covenants made in the Bible, you know, from the text itself. So you know, God will make a covenant with Noah, um, you know, that involves the rainbow. God will make a covenant with uh, Abraham, that involves that whole thing. Uh, God will make a covenant with um, uh, David, and God makes a covenant, of course, with Moses and the people of Israel. Um, God makes a covenant uh, or prophesies a covenant uh, with Jeremiah. The, Jesus talks about the new covenant. These are all uh, exegetical covenants. They're, they are in the scripture, uh, and that's just what we mean by that. Um, the the ideas of covenant of works and covenant of grace are more theological constructs. And, uh, and that's not to mm-hmm. say they're any less true. It just means that um, you look at these, uh, you, you won't find the expression covenant of works in mentioned in the garden, you won't find the expression covenant of grace mentioned anywhere um, when you're looking at the various covenants made with Abraham, David, whoever. Um, and neither will you find a covenant of works mentioned with Moses. Yeah, okay. Um, no, I, I think I, I think it was just more that you know, the, the Galatians 3 thing that I was thinking about where you have explicitly a few covenants tied together Right. Um, so there, namely Abraham and Christ. Right. So there, what what Paul's doing, and that's it, that's what he's doing is he's making an exegetical case, um, and talking about you know you have the 
the Galatian heretics or the Judaizers that come along and say, well, yeah, fine, we want to believe in Jesus, but let's be truly Jewish. Let's um, let's let's believe in the blood sacrifice, but mm-hmm. let's also keep the law so that we can get blessing in the land. You know, this is the way we've always done it, Israel. Come on, let's do this again, church. You know, so it's Jesus plus works, basically. And and Paul says you've misunderstand you've misunderstood the way covenants work. You you feel that the one that that the covenant made with Moses uh, annulled the covenant made with Abraham. And um, that's not how it works. If you want to go Jewish, um, we, let's go to the very source. Let's go to Abraham, uh, who is uh, the father of, of, of the Jews. And, um, and let's see what God covenanted with him. And then let's then keep in mind that what comes after doesn't annul that which goes before. And, uh, and whatever you have to process then by way of what God said to Moses has to be uh, in light of what God said to Abraham. And he makes the case then that... Um, the, the law was never supposed to replace uh, the the essentially gracious promise given to given to Abraham apart from works, um, and and if anything, it was meant to be a tutor to lead Israel to see their need for that Abrahamic covenant, which of course uh, has its fulfillment in the new covenant as Christ comes and um, and brings that grace to His people. Um, so there's a, there's a whole it's almost like a different category of. Stri- uh, uh, discussion. If you're thinking about, all right, let's let's isolate it to the covenant of grace, the temporal outworking of of God's plan for salvation from the fall all the way through uh, to the new covenant. Now, how does He administer His grace? Is what we're asking when we're when we're talking about the the covenant of grace. But just to try and, uh, and, and you know, I think that would be a great thing to talk about. And uh, I, I said we would talk about it. We have to talk about it more. Um, it's, 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 you could almost make, um, there's, there's just an endless amount of talking okay. you can do about that. But just wanting to make sure yeah. we don't miss out the covenant of redemption thing, which is, um, yeah. which is also super important. The covenant of redemption needs to be understood as the, the umbrella over it all, so to speak. God in eternity planned for a covenant of works mm-hmm. and a covenant of grace. And uh, so, so theologically, they are different, you know. If we're especially if we're thinking about theological constructs, like you don't go ahead and necessarily read explicitly about the intertrinitarian covenant, uh, but we've put put it together theologically. We know it's there. We know it's true. Yeah. And um, and so yeah. there's something. I mean, even if you just think about the parties of that covenant, uh, the mediator mm-hmm. of the covenant of grace is Christ. Um, you know, the, the whereas you have the parties of the inter-Trinitarian covenant, and they're the, mm-hmm. it's not just the sinful people with Jesus, it's the Father and the Son. So you actually do have merit, I think, theologically to to draw a whole separate covenant there with the covenant of redemption and, and the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is, is Christ with his people. The covenant of redemption is the Father with the Son. Um, and so, you know, yeah. that's, that's the okay. difference. Um, yeah. That's okay. That's that's really helpful. But now, right here, here is the the rub for me. Okay. Okay. Can you be? <clears throat> can you be a member of the covenant of grace? Mm-hmm. Okay, that is one of the people. Yes. Um, who has been dealt with by grace through Christ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or and and not be. A member of uh, <clears throat> okay, just just bear with me and let me explain what I mean. Yeah. And not be a member of the covenants of redemption. Right. So, uh, what I mean by that is, can you be a, a, a member of the covenants of grace 
and uh, not be one of those people pledged to the Son and the covenant of redemption. Because my knee jerk to that mm-hmm. is to say no. Mm-hmm. Like you, you if you're if you're not part of the covenant of grace, because like I don't see any idea of this kind of you know the elect are different to those who have faith in Christ kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. dynamic that you sometimes get in federal vision stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, that's that's my question. The rub is is can you be a member of one and not the other? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, no, I'd agree, and I think what you've said is is the difference there between Baptist and um, Peter Baptist. Well, uh, uh, what you've said over there is the difference between uh, Baptist and Peter Baptist ecclesiology and soteriology. But um, at the same time, you know, even as I say that, you have this sort of intramural 1689 thing going on right now, where they want to actually, um, you know, uh, change that even further to to what has normally. Uh, uh, been been understood uh, on this point, but let me leave that issue aside as well because that could further complicate things. I think that um, yeah, you have your typical. If you read Burkhoff, you read just anything, um, any any Peter Baptist standard sort of formulation uh, who, of of any the, any Reformed theologian that cares about covenant theology that will um, talk about the reason for the inclusion of infants. They'll talk about an internal and an external covenant of grace. And uh, the they'll they'll say the right. internal covenant of grace is essentially equal. It's not equal theologically, but those who are internally part of the covenant of grace um, are part of the covenant of redemption. Those who are externally part of the covenant of grace are not, um, uh, not yet at least, until they profess faith themselves. And okay. typically, they have in mind their children at that point. Um, and the the thing there is is that they are essentially trying to play on this idea of an external and internal um, church or a, a, maybe a, a visible and invisible church is a better way to put it, in that you have everyone believes that there are going to be some people who profess faith uh, that are part of the church, members, etc., that are not necessarily uh, converted. They might, for whatever reason, uh, their, their faith might not be genuine. No one is able to tell. But those people still partake in the sacrament and you know are regarded as... Um, um, uh, as as part of the church in an external sense. And so they would try and, in the same way that you could externally be part of the people of Israel um, as a descendant of Abraham or as a, as a child of Abraham, uh, having the land promises yes. in view. So is uh, this like yeah. tied in with the visible, invisible church thing? Well, it is. It, they want to make it. Uh, tied in, I think that it's 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 a yeah. needless confusion of ideas. Really, what it is is they're trying to say, as it was for the old covenant, uh, or at least with the Abrahamic covenant, yes. so it is for the new covenant. And mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah. it, it, as you had like true Israel and kind of external Israel, so you have it in the new covenant. There's always been this one administration of the way God has administered the covenant of grace. It's always had an external and internal dimension to it. And um, of course, as a Baptist, we come along and we say, no, no, no. We agree that that was the case in um, the Abrahamic covenant and the old covenant, Mosaic covenant administration. The defining difference, as Jeremiah puts it, though, in Jeremiah 31, is that no, no longer will that be the case. Uh, now, in the new covenant, all yeah. will know the Lord. This will be the sine qua non of the new covenant. And um, and so you essentially have something there that, that will uh, not allow for any kind of externality. Now, there is still, this is why I say it's different from the visible church. Of course, every everyone must believe in a visible church. And that visible church idea... 
um, is not the same as an external covenant of grace because they, though they, people might profess faith and be part of a church visibly speaking, uh, that doesn't mean they're in some sort of covenantal standing with God uh, that in any way lifts them beyond someone who's just basically um, uh, deceiving themselves and deceiving others. And mm-hmm. so, you know, yes, it's true that from an external dimension, as we look upon the church visibly, uh, there is a visible church in the new covenant, um, but that's not the same. That's that's a different thing, and um, and so I think what what I would say is agree with you one hundred percent in that. Uh, no, as as Baptists certainly we say the covenant of grace is now administered in such a way in the new covenant that does no longer allow for that external dimension that once did exist. And that wasn't administered in a certain way prior to the new covenant. The new covenant is the fullest expression, perhaps another way to put it, of the covenant of grace. And therefore, those in the new covenant are in the covenant of grace. It's obviously not not saying that you don't get true and false believers. No. But it it is saying that the covenant sign isn't given to people who you... Who haven't professed faith? So, yeah. Um, in that sense, you're you're only ring fencing um, the the people who were the equivalent of the remnant mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. rather than um, rather than the whole of Israel, children, foreigners, slaves, everyone. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So you can be in the in the new covenant now. Well, let's let's put it this way: you're in the new covenant now, which is essentially the equivalent of being in the covenant of grace, which is essentially uh, the functional equivalent of being in the the covenant of redemption. It's all it, there's you know it, from the new covenant perspective, it's 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 all now come to its full blossom and full expression. So the danger though, and and, and so yes, uh, you know I think what you said is hundred percent. You know it's impossible to be in the covenant of redemption if you're not in the covenant of grace, and if you're not in the new covenant. Uh, at, mm. at this point, from our vantage point now, um, and um, the danger, though, because then the next thing you asked, and the next thing that that often people try and do, and this is Baptist history is replete with this sort of thing, um, is that we go, okay, well then, if they're all essentially the same thing, um, why do we even have a distinction in those covenants? You know, why do we, if if there is, um, if if we're in the new covenant, that means we're in the covenant of grace. That means we're in the covenant of redemption. Really, shouldn't we just get rid of this theological construct construct called the covenant of redemption? Uh, because all the covenant of grace and just, you know, make it one thing that you're in pretty much um, because, because mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. like the only reason to keep them apart is to allow for some sort of Presbyterian angle. And um, you're seeing, well, like historically, John Gill, for example, someone I've, I've, I've studied with a fair degree of depth at this point, uh, is, is someone that wanted to rip that away. Uh, in fact, Tom Askell wrote a, a fascinating dissertation on um, on the way that John Gill's uh, doing of that exact thing of, of sort of saying, hey, we, let's just get rid of the covenant of redemption idea or let's just call the covenant of grace the covenant of redemption. Let's not have any single any distinguishing between those two. That actually led to his hyper-Calvinism. And the reason for that is it essentially mixes time and eternity. This is the whole problem. Um, the whole thing with the covenant of grace mm. is that you have a moment in time where you're justified by grace alone through faith, you know, as you come to Christ, as you hear the gospel. And this yeah. is the whole thing is, is, is a time-oriented yeah. thing. 
whereas the covenant of eternity or, yeah. or the covenant of redemption is is it's not thinking yes. in those in those terms at all and so you can imagine how if you think about god and his electing love for you and he uh chose you before the foundation of the world if you don't keep that very real time dimension to it uh all of a sudden you're eternally justified and all of a sudden you know you're justified before you're justified yes. and then you've got a whole bunch of different justifications and you've got uh, you're only uh uh Head's breadth away from from hyper Calvinism at that point, which uh, which is I believe where where John Gill was. I don't think he himself was a hyper Calvinist, but yeah, he certainly. he honestly just you could he built a house of cards that you could just blow over at that point when you've taken the time constraints away. So I think that you must keep those two present and it's not it's i think the big worry sometimes is well are we just opening a door for presbyterian arguments no i don't think we are uh we're, we're being very lucid in the way that we're asking who are the parties of the covenant uh, from this angle from eternity who are the parties of the covenant from this angle and who are the parties of the covenant from this angle mm-hmm. the the other thing that i'm worried yeah. about right now that's happening within reformed baptist circles is that you have a, a similar kind of problem in that people are not making a um, a proper point of um, separation or not properly distinguishing the difference between theological and exegetical covenants. Again, this you can see how this would lead to a problem. I mean, the the 1689 Federalist thing is 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 uh, reaching uh, good degrees of popularity right now, and um, it's essentially a movement to say, hey, we don't even need an overarching covenant of grace. That on its own is just a door for a Presbyterian argument. Because like the whole argument that a typical Peter Baptist would make is that we'll just do this with baptism because Abraham did this with circumcision and it's all part of the same covenant of grace. And and so Baptists want to look at that and they want to say, no, no. You know, obviously you got the dispensational guys that will just not even care about any of this. But those who do care about covenant theology, they'll say, well, let's just get rid of this covenant of grace idea, or let's just essentially call the new covenant the covenant of grace, um, which is the big move now. They equate equate the covenant of grace with the new covenant. And while that's true from a functional standpoint, from our perspective right now, in that Obviously, you know, if you're mm-hmm. part of the new covenant, we are in the covenant of grace. We get yeah, that. Yeah, the only the only way for us to be part of it. Right, but the 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 issue with that is that we're essentially causing that category confusion again. And whenever you do category confusion of any sort in this in this game, uh, you know, it's always going to it's going to uh, lead to problems. And so essentially, it means that we look back on Abraham's thing, and it can't be a covenant of grace because the covenant of grace is the new covenant. And so. Abraham's thing must have been a covenant of works. And um, and so, yes, sure, he had the, mm-hmm. the, the new covenant mm-hmm. retroactively administered to him. Um, that's fine. But they don't want to talk about the, the Abrahamic covenant being a, an administration of that essential grace that has flown through time. And, um, you know, again, the, the issues of that are, 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 are I think, more uh, manifold. But one of the things you've brought up already is it, it, it makes nonsense out of Paul's argument in Galatians. Um, Gala- you know, the whole argument in Galatians is to show that um, they had forgotten, the, the Judaizers had forgotten that an administration of the covenant of grace pre-existed uh, the Mosaic covenant in the Abrahamic covenant. Mm. And, and so, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, 
he he actually i mean to to take that away from paul's argument is really to take the whole book away i think and um and and that that is a, a real issue so you know i don't think it's true that um uh the covenant of grace begins with the new covenant or is essentially equal to the new covenant that's an important point um, but then just one more thing to say, uh, just for finishing my rant here, is that, again, you know, the, the, the Mosaic Covenant is the big stickler in that, uh, and this is what you mentioned yes. prior. So if we're thinking now in terms of time um, and the temporal outworking, and we've got that category down, you, you get to what uh, theologians have called the problem of antithesis in that you've got uh, Paul speaking about if it can't be, if it's of grace, it can't be of works. If it's of works, it can't be of mm-hmm. grace. You know, you've got uh, an antithetical deal going on there. And so with uh, a lot of what has been classically defined as Reformed theology, they have mixed that up. The, you know, Lutheran theology kept it nice and law and gospel distinction all the way through, uh, but tended to flounder on the covenant idea um, reform theology, uh, you know, went went crazy with the covenant idea, but but yeah, put the works together with the grace and um, and, and messed up Paul's um, uh, problem of antithesis there, uh, and and that really surfaced. Well, I think it surfaced um, strongly at that mosaic period where where you basically they want to understand that that everything God is doing with Moses and the Israelites are essentially an expression and administration of the covenant of grace. And, um, and that's why in the new covenant, things take on a very legalistic turn with these people because, you know, in the same way that they're essentially arguing that the Judaizers were right, you know, that we do need to kind of uh, add Moses to Abraham, you know, that we do need to um, see Moses as an expression of grace alongside Abraham. But, but we have to come along and insist, as you have already, that that Moses um, and, and the Mosaic Covenant, uh, though it ran parallel to that administration of grace from Abraham onwards, um, it, it was a republication of the covenant of works, an echo of the covenant of works uh, that was intended to do what Paul says in Galatians 3.24, to, to, to strike them down, to show them their great failure, to, to be a tutor, to lead them to Christ. And what he means in that epistle is that they could go back to Abraham's gospel, the, the gospel that God preached to Abraham. And so where Israel failed to see that, that their only hope was um, in, in the, the gospel that God preached to Abraham, uh, they shouldn't see that as any kind of, um, or, or at least in the new covenant, it's even more explicit that now that gospel that God preached to Abraham is fulfilled in Christ and uh, the new covenant. And so uh, how can we then want to add the law to that when the whole point of the law is to show us that we we have no, um, n- no justification, but that which uh, Christ has done for us in grace alone. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's how it all mm-hmm. works. And obviously there's a, a lot more to say, but I feel like that probably came across as spaghetti, but uh, hopefully that that is no, somewhere that, helpful. No, that's super helpful. Okay, good. Yeah, no, and that's um, and, and that that whole republication idea is super important as well because, um, it it, it essentially what 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 I think Michael Horton calls it a subservient covenant. Um, I like that idea in that it, it was um, obviously you have the primary demonstration of the covenant of works happening in the garden, right? That's, um, mm-hmm. you know, and ma- maybe you could also say in, in the covenant of redemption where Christ agrees 
to work for the salvation of the elect. Those are those are primary expressions of of this works principle. Like Christ earns what he has. Adam could have earned what he had, um, but but when it gets republished at Sinai, it's obviously not a, a, a primary expression in that they couldn't have worked their way into salvation. Um, it was it was meant to be a typological echo. Um, yes. So you could be an yes. Israelite yeah. under the covenant of grace in the sense that you're you're falling on uh, the Abrahamic covenant as you fail. All the administration of the priestly sacrifices and just all of those things are really an expression of the grace that God would give that He had a promised from Genesis three fifteen, but uh, then again in to Abraham, and um, and yet at the same time you could be an Israelite who was part of a national typological covenant of works. And you see that very clearly. I mean, you you have um, uh, the promises that the land will be blessed. It's sort of a picture of heaven, and the land will be cursed in severe ways if they disobey, which is a picture of hell, and uh, taking its full expression then in, in, in Babylon and, and uh, the captivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but... But yeah, it's left with an interesting situation that was very unique, uh, a, a unique object lesson for the world in history in that as an Israelite, as David, King David, for example, uh, you know, here you are, you could be a, a believer that's going to heaven and yet part of a nation that is going to, you know, spiral downwards into the typological hell uh, or the other way around. You could be um, someone in the land who is not a believer in truth. Uh, experiencing the blessing under King Solomon and the the the, the whole uh, deal there, and yet yourself going to hell uh, because you know it, it was a typological um, uh, deal that truly did have an external dimension to it. So yeah, I think understanding that is just oh man, it's one of the most important things out there. And if we don't understand it properly, it starts um, affecting the way we, you know, to not understand Paul's argument in Galatians is terrifying. You know, it's where he's <laughs> he's being so forceful there. Yeah. You know, I mean, to miss that, to I, I just I freak out sometimes because you know it's like a lot of reformed literature. I mean, to the point that they have actually, you know, mono covenantalism will actually say. Well, do, you, do you remember Lane Tipton? Oh, yeah. He, he gets asked to explain Galatians, and he ends up in Corinthians. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, I mean, look, and you got the whole um, John Murray, uh, Norman Shepherd co- controversy, which is what um, you know Chris wrote that book in response to that, and um, and uh, th- that you know just ba- basically want to say that Adam would have received it by grace, and law and grace are like this one big covenant. That's why when you get to the new covenant, it's law and grace, and you know, and it basically just stripping us of anything of the gospel. Uh, committing the Galatian heresy again and again and again, all in the name of of reformed theology. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really bad. Yeah, no, I can. See, I, I definitely agree with that. That's it's been it's been a thorn in my side because I've been I've, I've been you know reformed for a while, mm. <clears throat> but it's been such a thorn in my side. This whole business of the way that the law is being view, viewed and yes. the way that that taints. Their understanding, you know, that they'll be saying things like, essentially, you know, um, you know, essentially saying things like, well, you know, as a Christian, you, you know, you you are justified by faith, but if you continue sinning, you know, you're out, kind of thing, and you, and you just can't believe what you're hearing, you yeah. know, and and yeah. from very popular, well-known. 
contemporary Christian writers oh, yeah. who are essentially um, not consistently, thankfully, but yeah. who are essentially spousing legalism, you know. Yeah. Oh, totally. uh, and it's just, it's, it's been a huge issue for me. And understanding these two things, um, you know, that the, the covenant of Sinai was not a covenant of grace. Mm. And understanding that, um, and understanding that Israel is a typological picture mm. of salvation mm. <clears throat> in the final sense. Mm. Those two things were, were just huge in terms of oh. clarifying all these little things that have been a bugbear for me for so long. Mm. That's kind of why I wanted to start this podcast. I mean, you basically were wanting to promote, uh, I think I, I did do a show earlier on, just just wanting to promote a certain kind of Reformed theology, a, uh, a certain kind of covenant theology that is being well taught at Westminster, California, um, uh, not Philadelphia, that's teaching the other kind of Reformed theology. Um, uh, I want to, you know, Klein is providing all this beautiful exegetical basis for understanding things uh, as they should be understood. Um, and just, uh, you know, you got the two kingdoms theology that's thrown in there. I think it's of a piece with this. And um, and really, uh, a Reformed Baptist, uh, Reformed Baptist theology. Although there is this intramural debate going on, I'm always thankful that it falls on the one side of this rather than the legalistic side, in that it's probably it's if anything going to err on the Lutheran, you know, distinction between law and grace rather than ever confuse the two. Uh, and so I'm happy with that. You know, if if I have to pick a camp that I would fall into, uh, even if I'm erring too much in one direction, I'd rather err on the side of the Reformed Baptist than than on uh, anything in historic, yeah. uh, you know, Presbyterian theology. Um, but anyways, hey, we've probably gone pretty long on this. <laughs> I think we might have done. This yeah, might be record. Yeah. But actually. it was good. Seriously, really yeah. helpful. That's helped me a lot. So. Good. Awesome. Well, hopefully uh, you're not jealous uh, about, uh, even though you let me do the talking there. But um, anyways, whatever. I'm humble. I'm humble. I'm, I'm humble and teachable, ready to learn, unlike some other people. You know, the person I was referring to is Nick. Oh, okay. Nick, do you ever ask my questions and let Mike answer them? Because I do. Because that's what a real brother does. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Nice. Nick, hope you're listening, bro. And you see, the thing about Nick is he won't be listening to this. No, that, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Yeah. A real brother listens to all the podcasts. It's <laughs> not. <laughs> Not just the ones where he's on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Dude. Okay. All right. All right, let's call it. Thanks for joining us, bro. All right, man. Yeah, awesome. Uh, go check out the website, www.2hsojourner.com. Uh, do whatever you want. See ya. Bye. <laughs>